Mike Murphy, would you come up? I was trying to think of when we met. Good grief. It's, it's a long time ago. Now, I know you worked <laughs> at uh, computer programming at the NAV headquarters. That's right. And you lived in Memphis for a while. I did. You were in training, and you worked at Memphis State, and then you went down to Mississippi State for how many years? Nine years. <laughs> then you were at Clemson, and you've been there for a while. Been there a long time. <laughs> now you've moved, moved into community ministry. That's right. But uh, Mike's a dear friend. He and his wife and Carol and I were buds, and, and um, boy, he's got a great walk with the Lord and believes God. And I've always thought of him as the guy I know who's truly gifted in evangelism. He just leads guys to Christ all the time. And he's working with people, got a passion to further the kingdom. But um, I called him, I said, I want you to speak this year to the brethren. And he said, what God's been laying on my heart is what I want to speak on. I said, all right. So let me pray for you. Dear Lord, thank you for this dear brother. We pray you've laid it on his heart and you've developed him. And we pray that he would be able to express the thoughts that you've given him. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, thank you. Is this the right one? Okay. Okay. Okay, okay here we are. <laughs> Ready to go. All right. <clears throat> I was thinking about coming over here again this year. I was thinking, it's been three years since I've been over here, I think. And after, after getting over here and talking to a lot of people, it's been three years since you've been here <laughs> because COVID. But I, I know y'all had a smaller session last year at Murfreesboro. And uh, I know that was good. I've heard several people even mention that, how good it was. So anyhow, it's good for me to be here. One of the reasons I like coming over here, all the way from Clemson, South Carolina, home of the Tigers, <laughs> uh, is to be around men of like heart. Men that are trying to make disciples and who are making disciples who are going to make disciples. Because that's what we're all about, isn't it? And uh, so I just love being around men who've got that on their heart. And we're all different places in that, doing that, and we're all working at it, trying, and Trusting God, so <clears throat> it's just good to be here. And uh, as I begin to, as Mark says, I begin to pray about uh, what to speak on tonight, several things came to my mind, but one thing kept coming up, and that was our identity in Christ. And I think one of the reasons that came up was I feel like I've been working on this for years, and I feel like I still, a lot of it's head knowledge, but not heart knowledge, but by the way I respond sometimes. So I thought, man, this would be good for me, good message for me. Think about our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. And I think our identity in Christ can affect many things in our life. It can affect our confidence, our relating to people, even having victory over sin. Identity in Christ is crucial. Here's what one person said about it. I thought this was pretty good. It said, personal identity is one of the most important things to understand about ourselves, knowing who we are, what makes us tick, what makes us laugh, what gets on our nerves, what brings us true joy. 
Those are essential things to name because that understanding affects everything else. Personal identity affects how we look at life, how we deal with conflicts, and even who we choose as friends. If I were to ask you, who are you? Would you respond with a name, age, grade, your style or hobbies, or maybe the state where you grew up? All these external things may be a part of you, but they aren't permanent. They may be facts about you, who you are today, but 10 years from now, many of your responses would be different. So what do I mean by identity in Christ? It's really our relationship with him. You know, you hear that term in Christ. Paul used that term, believe it or not, 130 times in, in his epistles. So if he did, if he used it that much, it must be pretty important. It's how we see ourselves. It's how we think about ourselves. It's basically our security system. You know, when we grow up, I think it's just common for us to put our security in, you know, whatever we're good at. As, you know, growing up, you might be good in sports, football, baseball, tennis, ping pong. (laughs) Next thing you know, you're, you're kind of putting security in that. That's kind of how you view yourself or other people view you. Or it could be you might be good in computers or science or, or music. But any, it's just kind of a human thing to start putting our security in what we're good at. But And then as we grow older, a lot of times it's our job, you know, whether we're an engineer or a doctor or a lawyer or a real estate person, whatever we are. We put our security in that a lot of times. That's who we identify as. But tonight I want to look at what happened when we became a Christian. That identity changed, you know. It changed forever. And I want us to look at that and major on it a little bit. And uh, as I was thinking about this, several years ago, I did a study on Romans 6, 7, and 8 about how to have victory over sin. I came up with this little illustration This is the first one. This is before we were a Christian. So this right here is our body. Hey, by the way, this is the armless man illustration. (laughs) I I could call him the armless and headless, right? But but he's basically the armless man. Uh, So that's our body called the flesh. This right here is the real you. And what I mean by the real you it's what makes you who you are. It's your spirit and your inner being. It's uh, a lot of people have the soul and emotions and all this separated out, but I'm just going to say our inner self. It's, who, it's whatever makes you, you. Like if we could take on Mark Stevens, his real you, and put him in Shannon, Shannon would be totally different, wouldn't he? If, we, if somebody died and we laid their body out here, it'd just be their body. The real you is gone. So y'all catch what I'm talking about? The real you. But, but notice there's a chain around that real you. That's what that is. A chain around that real you. So that means when we we're born, we we're born slave to sin. And Romans 6 talks a lot about that. And, uh, you know, when it starts off, it talks about our identification with Christ uh, and his crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. 
It talks a lot about that. So we're going to read that. If you want to turn to Romans 6, 1 through 7. And then we're going to talk about what happened when Christ came into us. Okay? Romans 6, 1 through 7. Starting with 6. What shall, and this is talking about that identification here. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So that's talking about this new birth. Now let's go on to 5, 6, and 7. If we have been united with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Now notice 6. For we know that our old self, or we could say the old real you, was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free. So then we go to this next illustration. So what happened when we became a Christian, that real you, look at it over there on the right side. The chain's gone. So the chain was taken off. But what's not different? The flesh. The body's the same. When you became a Christian, you may have told somebody you became a Christian. They'll say, you don't look any different. We didn't look different. Physically, the same. But inside, new creation. Who knows 2 Corinthians 5.17? That's right. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's new, this new real you. New real you with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes in, meshes with our spirit. New real you. So there we are. But we got a problem because we're still in this body right here. So this new real you is going to struggle with this flesh. But now we're free to choose. And this is key. Right here, free to choose. We've got a choice. We used to be a slave to sin, but now we've got a choice. But guess what? A lot of times we act like we're back over here. And you know, the slaves I've heard in the 1860s, when they were set free from slavery, a lot of times they didn't know what to do. They, I've heard that a lot of them wanted to go back and live the way they used to live. Because they just didn't know how to live free. So I think that's the way we are sometimes. We want to go back over here because we don't really know how to live over here. But over here we've got a f choice, free to choose. And um, the other thing that's a kicker about this is, oh, Satan gets involved here. Let's turn to John eight forty four. This is telling us about Satan. John 8, 44. It says, You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning 
not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now that's amazing, isn't it? When you think about it, Satan, when he speaks, he speaks his native language, which is lying. So you can pretty much count on the fact that Satan's going to be lying to us a lot of the time. So he lies and tells us we're over here, or he wants us to believe things over here. I had a friend of mine recently, he said, man, Satan's been lying to me a lot lately. So that means he was doing, having some struggles going on. Because when we really believe we're over here, it changes things. So that's kind of, and there's a verse that's really neat when you think about it like this. How about 1 Corinthians 10, 13? Who knows that one? Somebody quote that one. I know everybody, a lot of people know it. <laughs> Have you ever meditated on that verse? I mean, think about how shocking that verse That verse says, basically, we don't have sin. Right? Because it says every time we're tempted, there's going to be a way out. But what's the problem? We're still in, still in this body. Still in this body. So we struggle. We struggle. Okay. Now, that's the background. Let's get back to our identity. Not only did this happen when we became a Christian, but a lot of other good things happened. That's what we want to look at. Let's uh, turn to 1 John 3, 1. 1 John 3, 1. Okay. <clears throat> How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is it did not know Him. Now let's let that soak in. We are children of God. What do y'all think about that? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? All you, all you parents out there, you know about your children, but we are a child of God. And let's look at another verse. It says similar. Romans 8, 15 through 17. Romans 8, 15 through 17. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, so we're no longer a slave, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we are children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So not only are we a child of God, now we're an heir. What do you think about that? How good is it to be an heir? <laughs> it's pretty good. We're going to be an heir. So let's look at another verse, very similar. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. Okay. 
But when the time had finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. So emphasizing again that we're an heir. And uh, it says he sent his spirit in us. So the spirit's right there with that real you. That, that's part of that new birth, Holy Spirit. So we got that new real you. We're a child of God. We're an heir. We've got the spirit in us. Now then, if we're God's child, think about how much you love your children. Let's look, about, let's look how God loves us. His love for us is stronger than anything we could imagine. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, that's something that's pretty powerful, isn't it? If, our, if we give our kids good gifts, how about the Father? What's he going to do for us? So I know, you, I know you who are parents really understand that. And then, just in case we don't quite get that, let's look at Romans 8, 35 through 39. It talks about how strong God's love is for us. This is a powerful passage about God's love. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake... We face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So how much does God love us? A lot, right? <laughs> I mean, there's nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us from God's love. So when we really start grasping that, but see, Satan gives us lies. He lies to us. When you mess up, he tries to tell you God doesn't love you, or he tries to tell you God's mad at you, or God's angry with you, or something like that. But need to go back to these verses that God loves us. So anyhow, those are some things because we're over here on the right side, we're over here. That's some things that we have because we're in Christ. But now then, you can do a study. If you want to know really who we are in Christ, you can study like Ephesians 1 and 2, Colossians 1 and 2. And after you get through with that, you could study the whole New Testament. <laughs> because uh, I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 1. And just let's pick out some of these things that we have because we're in Christ. But, you know, putting this talk together, 
one of the things that stood out to me was uh, even, even after you get a few of these things, there's many more, many more things we have because we're in Christ. And if you just start in your quiet times or when you're going reading through the New Testament, you can see many, many things we have because we're in Christ. And it, it really encourages you. But let's read Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So what do we have from that verse? Every spiritual blessing. We don't even know what all those are, do we? But it says we have them. We have them. But, but some of them we understand. Okay, in verse 4. For he chose us and him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in accordance with the pleasure of his will. So there we're chosen. So that's a special thing that we're chosen. Verse 5. It says he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. So we're adopted. So we could do another talk on that, couldn't we? What it means to be adopted. I've, I've heard that's special, you know, when somebody adopts somebody. That's really special because they've chosen them. And, and that's something to think about for us. We're adopted. Okay. Verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us. So he's given us his grace. Verse 7. It says, uh, forgiveness in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Verse 9, I'm going to skip to verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will. A lot of people didn't know that. He's made that known to us. In verse 13, it says that we were given the Holy Spirit. So anyhow, those are just a few things from Ephesians 1 that we have because we're in Christ. And at the end of this talk, I'm going to give you a little card that has many more that you can look at, you know, sometimes in your quiet time or just to start your day. Many more things we have because we're in Christ. But let's look at some practical examples of how this plays out in real life. That's what uh, I think would be helpful for us. How does this play out? I mean, how, do you, how does it work when you forget this? or when you are thinking about it. The first example, let's just say the, let's say your boss gives you a project and uh, you work all week on this project. You work really hard and you spend time at night working on it. You spend overtime. You've worked really, really hard on this project. Friday gets here, you feel pretty good about this thing. You know, you think, well, I think I've done a pretty good job on this project. Let's say the boss comes in Monday morning and says, you know, this is just not what I wanted. <laughs> this is nothing like what I wanted. So how are we going to react to that? How will we respond? You know, we might go a little bit down, might we? Get a little depressed. So I think it's natural to have some down feeling, but one of, the wrong, what is, one of Satan's lies might be worth is based on others' opinions or I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself if not to fear of failure. 
So that could be Satan's lie, lie to us that he's telling us that. So what do we have to do? We have to remember we're over here. We have to go back and just remember, I'm free to make a choice. I know who I am. I know what God's done for me. You just kind of review some of those things in your head. And whether the boss likes this project or not doesn't affect who I am. Okay, second example. Let's say you're playing a game of tennis or football or baseball, anything. Let's say you lose. <laughs> we don't like that, do we? Sometimes we don't like to lose. And again, I say there might be a natural reaction. It's normal, okay, to feel a little bit down. But let's say tennis, you throw that racket up against the fence. Or uh, football, if Tennessee loses, or I guess that's your team over here, or MTSU, if they lose, then you, <laughs> Georgia Tech, man. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you might feel a little down for a little while, but, you know, if it goes on for a week or something, just feeling totally depressed because your team lost, that's not good, is it? So uh, the Satan's lie there might be worth is based on performance. So, again, we go through those same little steps, you know, reviewing who we are over here, and we're making a choice. I think the key is the thing of making a choice, telling yourself you've got a choice. You don't have to believe Satan's lies. Third thing, let's say you decide to share your faith with somebody, and you, it took you a while to get up nerve to do it, and then you finally go share with somebody, and they just totally kind of reject you, you know, like say, I don't want any part of that. Have y'all ever had that happen? I mean, it kind of makes you feel bad, doesn't it? So uh, we could be a little down, but you could, Satan's lie there might be worth is based on being accepted, fear of rejection. So again, we go back and we think about who we are, who we are in Christ. That's really important. Okay, the fourth example, let's say you sin, a sin that you've committed before. You get down on yourself. You say, I'm a failure. You know, I'm just a failure. I'm no good. And I think that happens a lot of times, doesn't it? You know, especially if you fall into something you've done before. It's easy just to beat yourself up. So Satan's lie there is that you're hopeless and you can't change. But we know that's not true. That's not true. We've we got to remember what the truth is. We're over here. We're on this side. The sin chain's been broken. We've got a choice. We can go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We can, first of all, confess sin, 1 John 1, 9, and then move on. So anyhow, these are some examples, but how do, how do we get this into our life, this truth of knowing who Christ is? I think we all kind of know it mentally, but how do we get it <clears throat> into our heart? So I was thinking about that, and I it really starts, I think it gets back to these basics, like they were talking about this afternoon, you know, prayer and the word and scripture memory. That's where it starts. You know, you got to start up here with the mind, let it sink to the heart. Uh, but starting the day off with a quiet time, and somebody brought out Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And one of the best ways to renew our mind is scripture memory and meditation. Those two go together, but just really, that changes how we view our minds. 
So I think that's really a good way. Uh, you may want to memorize a verse that relates to this, you know, totally. Like Colossians, I like Colossians 2, 9 and 10. It says, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ. The King James says complete. I like complete. I think NASB says complete too. We're complete in Christ. If you're complete, you don't need anything else, do you? You're, you're, you're as good as you can be. Another thing you can do is have a truth card. That's this card I'm going to hand out at the end that just where you review yourself and remind yourself of these things. And uh, another thing that I, I like to do is I actually picture this illustration. And I, I like to think about that right there, that I've got a choice. Because I think that's key. Because Satan will make you think you don't have a choice. He tries to make you think you're on this side of the line, that line separating. He tries to make you think you're back over here. And you, you feel like you don't have a choice. But you've got a choice. So we've got to take the right choice. So I guess to sum this up, well... I guess the other thing I want to bring out here, as I've been mentioning it the whole time, is really this kind of boils down to spiritual warfare. You know, Romans, I mean, Ephesians 6 says our battle's not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual powers. And I think that's really true in this area. It's just spiritual warfare. Satan is always banging on us, trying to make us believe lies. And we have to go back to what is the truth? What has God said? We, we know what he said, so we have to go back and believe that and trust that. <clears throat> uh, and when we get to this point here of making a choice, do we have the power to make that choice? We do, don't we? Ephesians 1, you know, chapter 1, Paul, when he's praying for the Ephesians, he prays that they will understand that they have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. How much power is that? <laughs> That's some power. Uh, one thing is uh, uh, analyzing the lie. And, and so it's, it's getting, getting the truth from Scripture, but analyzing the lie. Yeah. And then you, you know, it helps you. Yeah. To, to, uh, then you get a lot more scriptures once you analyze the lie. You don't have just one scripture that could do that. You, then you'll see that there are multiple aspects to the lie. Yeah. Satan will come at us many ways, many lies. So that's good. Analyze the lie. Figure out how he's coming at you. And go back to the truth. Okay. So what, most of what we do is filtered through our identity. I mean... <clears throat> That's something we don't think about much, but really how we act is a lot because of our identity. So if we feel like we're on this side, we're going to act that way. If we feel like we're on God's side and we really know who we are in Christ, we should be acting that way. And another thing you can tell yourself is you're a king's kid. That's something I like is... Uh, um, just remind yourself, there's a passage here I was going to read about being the king, but uh, I bypassed that one. Let's see if I go back and see it.
Well, anyhow, y'all know where he said in John. It's in John where he says, oh, here it is. It's John 18, 33 through 37. I meant to say this earlier, but I just, I like this. Short phrase, tell yourself you're a king's kid. John 8, 33 through 37. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus replied, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king, then said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying that I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. So, you're a king's kid. Isn't that kind of neat to think that? I mean, to say that? So, back over here, think about all those things you have. If you want to sum it up, you can just say, I'm a king's kid. When Satan's tempting you, say, get thee behind me, Satan. In the name of Jesus, I'm a king's kid. I'm going to act like a king's kid. <laughs> so, that's, that's a good saying to remember. Now, in closing, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm going to play a song. That's a little different, especially for me, maybe. <laughs> but uh, this song I heard, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie Overcomer. It's a Christian movie uh, put out by Kendrick Brothers that did uh, Fireproof and uh, what was Courageous and War Room, several of those. If you haven't seen this movie, Overcomer, I'd like to recommend you see it because it's one of the best movies I've seen that teaches this. I, I didn't know a movie could teach that this good, but they really bring that out with a couple of characters of who they are in Christ. And uh, by the end of it, you, you'll see what I mean. It's just clear cut who we are in Christ. So anyway, I'm going to close with this song from that movie and then I'll close this in prayer and I'll hand out those cards. It's the songs, Who You Say I Am.
Okay. So remember, we are who God says we are, no matter what Satan says. I'll, I'll close us in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you so much for what you've done coming to earth and going on the cross. And you've done everything that we needed. And we just thank you for who we are in you. And help us to remember that when Satan tempts us and makes us want to act like we aren't, like we're the way we were before becoming a Christian. Help us to remember that we're a king's kid and that we need to act like a king's kid. And just pray that you'll help us, give us strength and power. And just pray for these men here. Thank you for them and their heart for you. And pray that you'll be with them and as they continue throughout their lives to really walk for you and glorify you and continue to make disciples. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.